Amen. Aren't you glad that you have that to look forward to? What a day that will be. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the letter of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we begin our reading this morning in verse number 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. As Peter is writing to those that are identified as strangers scattered throughout the land of Galatia, those that have been persecuted, those that have been beaten down, those that have been separated from their family and their friends. And he says in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I don't need to tell anyone here this morning that we've been through a difficult year and we have no idea what lies ahead. But as bad as it is, I'm confident that, uh, well, it could have been worse. Sometimes we talk about something being so bad or so good, whatever the case might be, but we, I think we always need to ask ourselves, in comparison to what? In comparison to what? In comparison to, you know, our lives as they were before this year, in comparison to what we uh, envisioned this year to be, uh, it's been a really bad year. But whenever we compare it to what some other folks have gone through, such as those to whom Peter is writing here, it's a, well, it can be a different ball game. These people have been persecuted. They've been scattered abroad. They're, they're strangers uh, in, in a foreign land, as it were. And they've gone through horrible persecution. And uh, I think it's, it's true that, that we can say, you know, as bad as this year's been, it could have been worse. When we think about what we still have, we think about the blessings that we still enjoy that these folks have been deprived of. We think about those first century Christians and there in Hebrews chapter 11 as it closes out that wonderful chapter about faith that describes those that had suffered in so many different ways. I mean, they, they were persecuted in unimaginable ways, driven from their homes and it tells us they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, and had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted, uh, were slain with the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Well... <clears throat> Maybe what we're going through is not so bad compared to what some have gone through. 
Don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize the difficulties that we've gone through. A lot of folks have suffered horribly this last year. They've lost loved ones. They've been sick themselves, and they've had a lot of difficulties that we would all rather escape, but, well, we can't. We just have to face life as it is and try to understand the best that we can what it's all about. And that's why I want to speak to you this morning about the trial of your faith. I love this letter because it speaks to people that have been afflicted and it speaks to them about an awesome God. In the verses that I just read here, if we had time to go back and look at the preceding verses, we would see there that in the first two verses, Peter reminds us of our identity in Christ, and then he reminds us of our inheritance in Christ, and then he speaks about our infirmities, even though we're Christians, our troubles and our trials. And you read this, and at first glance, it might well, it might appear to some that due to our difficulties, you know, it just might appear that salvation is of really no present benefit whatsoever. But whenever you study these verses that we're looking at this morning, that'll get rid of that silly idea. There are great benefits for the Christian here on this earth. And I've often said, were there no heaven and no hell, the life of the Christian would still be the very best life that anyone could live. And in these verses that I just read, we see the possibility of joy in the midst of all of these trials that I've been speaking about. Imagine that. There are people in this world today that have millions of dollars. They live in a mansion. They have everything imaginable, and they are miserable. They have no peace. They have no joy. And on the other hand, there are those that are believers in Christ who have none of the fine things of this world, nothing that would cause others to label them as a great success. And yet they have a peace and a joy that, well, the, the world can't even begin to understand. So as we think about the trial of our faith, I want you to consider three things about that today. And the first thing here in verse 6, we see here that we need to consider the perspective of our trials. Perspective is important in everything about life and he says here wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations now before we look at all of the details of that I want to make sure that you understand what we mean when we talk about temptations here it literally means our trials it means putting to the test testing it's not just enticement to evil it's not the, the, the devil soliciting us to do evil, although solicitation to evil can be a, a temptation. It can be a trial that we go through. That's not basically what he's talking about here. He's talking about us being put to the test. That's what it's all about. A trial, remember this, a trial is something that God allows to come into your life to make you a better person. It's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to help develop you. It's meant to help make you better 
than what you were before. So God means it for our good. Now that's not the same as a hardship that you might be going through. A hardship that you know you bring into your life is the result of some wrongdoing. There are people you know that say, "Well, well, I'm I'm just real. I'm really being tried." I, and you know, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, I I'm in prison. And this is just a great trial in my life. No, no. That's the result of a choice you made. That's the consequence of a choice that you made. So don't say that you're going through a trial when you're being punished for a crime. They're not the same. You see, the trials that the Bible speaks of here has to do with things that God allows into our life, things that come uninvited, not something we bring upon ourselves. I think about the Apostle Paul and the great suffering that he went through. And it was not because of the fact that he wasn't a godly man. Whenever you see Christians going through godly trials, that doesn't mean that they're hiding some unconfessed sin. They might be the most spiritual-minded, morally best person in the whole church, and yet they're going through great trials. We can't understand it, but we need to understand this, that it's God allowing something into their life, and He has a purpose behind it that we'll talk about later. We don't always know what the purpose is, but thank God we can know that there's a reason for whatever God is putting us through. But to deal with these issues, we must have the proper perspective. And so this morning I want you to think about four or five things related to how we look at our trials because some people have the tendency to get all bitter and bent out of shape as a result of it and consequently they destroy the opportunity they would have had to benefit from what they're going through. So the first thing you need to understand about having the right perspective about your trials is that trials are opportunities, not obstacles. Opportunities, not obstacles obstacles they open up a door that we would have never been able to open for ourselves they open up a door and give us an opportunity that we would not have had otherwise notice in verse 6 he starts out by speaking here about the great joy that we have in salvation and so he's telling us that regardless of of how great our suffering is that we can rejoice. And let me tell you, the devil wants you to believe that that is impossible. And I say that because we always try to justify our bad attitude, don't we? Why are you in such a bad mood? Well, you know, they've got 40, 11 different reasons why they're all been out of shape. It's because of this and that or something else. It's because of what they're going through. But that is just the opposite of what these people are going through. Listen, Jesus said that, that he gave unto his people his joy. And it was with joy that he faced the cross. And he has left with his people this same great joy that's possible for every Christian to have. And we can rejoice in our salvation regardless of what the circumstances are. And when we do that, it gives us an opportunity to show others what God can do. That's what they need to see. 
They need to see what God can do in a person's life because a lot of them are convinced they really don't need God. They've got food on the table and clothes on their back, shoes on their feet. They're getting along just fine. They don't see their need of God. They don't really see any benefit of, you know, of us being Christians because we have troubles just like they do. But boy, when they see a spirit-filled believer rejoicing when their whole world is falling apart, that makes a difference. That gives you an opportunity. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, whenever he's dealing with this, and he says, speaks about our God as being the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in all of our affliction, not in some of them, but in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort others also. You see, your misery can become your ministry. That's the way it ought to be. Instead of whining and complaining about how difficult you have it in life, show somebody the difference that God can make in your life. That's your opportunity. Don't waste it. So when you think about your trials, consider looking at them from the perspective of being an opportunity. Secondly, they're fleeting. They're not forever. Oh, I know it seems that way, right? When you're going through a difficult time, it seems like you're never going to get out of it. It seems like you're being swallowed up by quicksand, and there's no way out of it. There's nothing to grab hold of. But notice here in verse 6, he tells us that these trials are for a season. They're for a season. And Paul affirms that fact over and over again in his writing. That's why said, he said, we don't look at things, you know, that are. He said, we look at the things which are not. We're not looking at the things that are temporal, but those things that are eternal, you see. And so even in our worst trials, we need to understand and consider looking at them from the perspective that this too shall pass. It doesn't seem that way at the moment, but it's just a matter of time. I remember several years ago preaching a message about the fact that, that everybody's going to be healed. All of God's people are going to be healed. If you have cancer, if you have heart disease, whatever it is, you're going to, God's going to heal you. You know, somebody said, do you believe in divine healing? I think that's the only kind there is. Amen? But it, look, it's just a matter of time. Uh, we want to be healed today, right? We, we want to be through with our trials today, and they're still there, and it seems like they're going to be there forever, but oh no. They're not forever, they're fleeting just for a season until what God wants has been accomplished. So that brings us to the third thing about our perspective, and that is that our trials are purposeful. They're not purposeless, as we like to think. You know, if you really, if you really realize when you're going through a hard time that there is some good purpose behind it, that it's will serve a purpose in your life or it'll be of a help to somebody else. Boy, you can get through almost anything, but it's whenever you think that, boy, this is a waste. This, this is absolutely unnecessary. But notice here in our text, Peter says, if need be. If need be. That means since it is necessary. That's the meaning of that phrase. Since it is necessary. Necessary. 
So our suffering is never accidental. It's never random. It always has a purpose. And he makes that clear in verse number 7. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now notice that verse starts with the word that. That. There's a reason behind it, you see. There's a purpose for it. And we've, we've got to understand that if we're going to be able to, to deal with our difficulties. Then notice again in verse 6, here's another thing about the perspective, and that's the fact that they, they are painful, not pleasant. He said, ye are in heaviness. That word heaviness means to be deeply grieved. You see, trials hurt because they're supposed to hurt. They have to be painful in order to be profitable. That's why I say so often that, you know, our greatest area of temptation is not poverty. It's prosperity. It's whenever we've got so much that we think we don't really need God or we don't need the church or we don't need anybody else. We've got it all together, but boy, when your world falls apart, all of a sudden you realize, wow, and it hurts. If it wasn't, it wasn't so important, it'd be almost funny to watch some parents whenever they supposedly spank their children. A little swat or something, you know, and the kid... You can tell by the look on the kid's face that that didn't hurt a bit and it's not going to change a thing. I remember when I was a boy that that mama would try to discipline me and boy, I learned that if I could just kind of grit my teeth and even put on a fake smile, she could do almost anything she wanted to do and I could get through it. But boy, when she said, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets home and he took off that old leather ranger belt that he always wore, it was a different ball game because he didn't stop until it hurt, until I had tears in my eyes. And you see, that's what we need. That's the only way we're going to profit from it. And that's why he said, ye are in heaviness. Not accidentally. God's doing it and allowing it on purpose. And then... Here's the last thing about our perspective that we need to understand. Whenever you're going through these dark trials and these difficult times, remember that our trials are unlike, they're not uniform. Notice he describes them in verse 6 as being manifold. That means, that means many-colored, multicolored. And we ought to take note of everything in life. Because the trial can come into any area of our life. It can be financially, it can be physically, it can be emotionally. Trials can involve any area of our life. And listen, and we're all affected differently. You take back in the days whenever the hippie movement was so popular, a lot of those folks, they didn't care about material things at all. They just give them a joint to smoke and a tune to dance by and a little love making and man they were happy as as a lark they didn't need anything else they wasn't concerned about being successful in this world they just wanted to live for the moment eat drink and be merry because they well tomorrow i'm going to die i might as well live it up that was kind of their philosophy 
On the other hand, you strip some people of all of these worldly goods and they, they're going to be miserable the rest of their life. You see, everybody is affected differently. What has a drastic effect on one person will hardly even cause another person to shed a tear. That tells me this important fact, and that is that we can never judge another person's trials. Be careful about ever saying to anybody about anything, I know how you feel, baloney. You have no idea how they feel. You say, but I went through the same thing. So you did, so what? You went through it and you made it just fine. It didn't even hurt you. But it's hurting them. They're going through something entirely different. Be careful about misjudging others. These trials are all unalike. And we need to understand that. Now, look at verse 7 again, because here we see the purpose of our trials. He says that, that tells us there is a purpose, that the trial of your faith, notice being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. That means it would be pure gold. That it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our trials prove that our faith is genuine. And that's so very important. And if I had time, I could talk about all of the several different things that are related to the purpose of trials. I've preached entire messages about that. Trials perfect our faith. Trials purify our lives. Trials protect us from pride. They provide help for others. They proclaim the sufficiency of God's grace. They prepare us for eternity. They prove the reality of our faith, and that's what we're talking about now. They prove the reality of our faith, because were it not for trials, you would really never know whether or not your faith is real. Oh, there's times, you know, that that we feel that it is. And so many people, you know, are basing everything on how they feel. They feel like they're going to heaven. They feel like they're saved. Let me tell you, if everything's based on your feelings, mark it down, there's going to come a time whenever you have doubts. And if you have serious doubts about being born again, you've got a serious problem. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There was no doubt in his mind. He knew that his faith was real, that it was genuine, that it was going to be rewarded at the proper time and in the right way. He knew that. And he knew it not because of how he felt about it, but because of the testimony of God's word. You see, these trials are not for God's sake. They're for ours. God already knows the truth about us. Somebody makes a profession of faith and it's not genuine. The Lord already knows that. He's very much aware of your spiritual state and your needs in every area of your life. He understands that. It's man who is confused. And our trials... 
reveal whether or not we're truly trusting God. They prove in order to improve. Job spoke about the trial of his faith. He likened himself unto gold that was being tried. And when he, when he said, you know, whenever I'm tried, when the Lord's through with this process, when God's done with what I'm going through, I'll come forth as pure gold. That God's going to use this horrible, painful thing in my life to bring about something that is good and glorious, something that will result in what? And the praise and the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll thank Him for what we despise when we stand before Him and understand why He did what He allowed. Now look at verse 8. We've talked about the perspective of our trials and the purpose of them, but now we need to understand and consider the power to endure these trials. And he says in verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Whenever we look at verse 8 and then on to verse number 9 in the light of this context here there are five things that come to our mind and we always have to look at the context on any verse that we're considering that's important otherwise we don't get the complete picture you can make the bible believe or say absolutely anything you want it to if you take everything out of context So whenever we think about the context, all the things that I've just been talking about here, and then we look at verse 8 and 9, it all begins to make sense, and it doesn't just make sense, but it reveals to us how it is that we can endure these trials and profit from these trials. The first thing that jumps out at me is the fact that that it requires amazing grace. Notice the word manifold again. As I said, that means multicolored. It's verse 6. But when you turn to chapter 4 and verse number 10, that exact same word is used of God's grace. He speaks there about the manifold, that is the multicolored grace of God. You see, we never go through anything that the grace of God can't get us through. Just as there are various forms of trials, there are various graces that help us in our time of need. And that's why, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, and this is the Lord assuring him, because remember, Paul, he got just as confused as we do. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he went to the Lord three times and begged God to remove it. And God said, I can't do that. You might be lifted up with pride. So to keep you humble, he said, I'm going to let it remain. But, he said, my grace, my grace shall be sufficient. 
And I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for anything we will ever have to go through. And whatever you're going through right now, that thing that is so painful that you think I can't make it through it, and God says, yes, you can, because my grace is sufficient. He's able to meet every need. Oh, for thank God for the amazing grace. And we have to have that to get through anything because we sure couldn't do it on our own. Not only is there the need for amazing grace, but the need for abounding love. You know, unlike uh, those to whom Peter was writing here, he had seen Jesus. Think about that. He had seen the Lord with his own eyes. He had spent time with the Lord. But you know, even Peter didn't love the Lord as he should have. And it was only because that his love for the Lord grew as he was able to experience the love of God for him. Well, you know, the Lord could have come down hard on Peter. Believe me, there was a reason whenever the Lord told him to go at the resurrection, go and tell Peter and, of course, the others. But whenever they got to that tomb, who ran in first? It was Peter. And the Lord said, Lovest thou me more than these? Oh, that had to be an embarrassing moment for somebody that had denied the Lord. Peter, do you love me more than these? Oh, how embarrassed Peter was. And for good reason. And as I said, he learned to love Jesus as he should because of what he experienced in the Lord loving him. You know, if our, if our devotion to God is going to increase, our love for God has to grow because love gives us the power to endure. Some people think about, you know, those of us that have been married, you know, 50, 60 years and so forth, and they think, boy, uh, you know, you must not have had any problems. No, let me tell you, every couple has problems and difficulties. It's a matter of just working through them and sticking together. It's a matter of love because love will get you through absolutely anything. And if you remember and and be convinced of the fact that whatever you're going through you can't measure God's love for you by the difficulties that you're suffering he loves you and your love for him ought to encourage you to go through these difficulties without complaint thirdly we find the power to endure our trials through abiding trust. Every relationship depends upon trust and, uh, and love. And that's especially true of our relationship with God. Uh, here, remember, Peter is commending these people here for believing and even rejoicing in their suffering. They, they had never even seen Jesus like he had. And the only way they could do that is through what? Through faith. Had their faith been lacking, had it been missing, 
Had it not been real, true, genuine faith, they could, have, they could have never rejoiced in the midst of all of these trials. But they had an abiding trust for God that I'm going to trust Him regardless of what happens to me. And then look in verse number 8, and here's the fourth thing about the way that we secure power to get through our trials, and that's through abundant joy. Don't you just love that phrase here? Remember, these are the same people that I've been talking about that had been driven from their homes and persecuted, imprisoned, and suffering. And notice that he said they rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Don't ever underestimate the power of joy. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, joy is not only the result of our success as Christians, but it is the reason for it also because it empowers us. As I've said so many times, you know, a Christian that, that doesn't have joy is a weak Christian. You're susceptible to the danger of temptations in your life. If your joy is missing, you're headed for trouble. A lot of folks got the idea, evidently, that it's something they can live without, you know. We don't take that same, that same viewpoint when we talk about love, do we? I mean, if you know a professing Christian and you've arrived at the conclusion, you know, they don't love anybody. They're just hateful and mean and cruel. They don't love anybody. There's no evidence of love. And Boy, we, that's on the serious list. But at the same time, we can look at some sourpuss Christian that hasn't, hasn't expressed their joy in their whole Christian lifehood. And, and we just accept that as normal. We consider them to be really serious-minded Christians when the fact is they're so far removed from God, they don't know, they don't even understand how important their joy is. When you lose your joy, let me tell you right now, whenever the trials come, you're liable to fall. You need that joy to get you through. But then there's one other thing that we see in verse 9, and that is we need assured hope. He says in verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now keep in mind there are three aspects to salvation. You know, whenever you say you're saved, number one, that means that you're saved in the present tense, right? You've been delivered from the penalty of sin. All of your sins have been forgiven. You've been delivered. That's past tense. That's already happened. Secondly, you are being delivered from the power of sin as God is sanctifying your life. He's purifying your life. He's putting you through the process of making you what you ought to be. You are being saved, being delivered. But in the final aspect, that talks about our deliverance from the very, the very presence of sin. And notice he's talking about here receiving the end of your faith. And what is that? Even the salvation of your souls. Aren't you glad that you have something to look forward to? that you have that to look forward to. And that hope 
gives us the power to endure whatever we're going through in this life because knowing that God saves us eternally, being assured of that fact gives us hope that He's going to finally, ultimately deliver us in our most difficult days. I mean, if God can save your soul and keep you safe through all of your faults and failures throughout life and bring you to that glorious day where you will rejoice in His presence. If He can do that, He can do anything. So you always have hope in your heart that whatever you're going through, that He's going to bring you out of it. Amen. Knowing that God is faithful encourages us to be faithful. And if we're going to survive, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. It's the verse I quoted a while ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17. And Paul has just got through speaking about the great difficulties that he had been through. He said, we're troubled on every side. Yeah, persecuted, perplexed, cast down, forsaken. This, this is what he's going through. How, how did he get through it? He says in verse 16, For which cause we faint not. We don't give up. We don't throw in the towel. We don't quit. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How do you do that, Paul? For our light affliction. Wait a minute. How can you say that about what he's been describing? Our light affliction. We don't consider those, those painful trials to be light, do we? But he's not through. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, remember they're fleeting. They worketh for us, not against us. They worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, that old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And believe me, whatever it is you're facing now, whatever you face in this coming year, you'll be all right. You might hurt, but you'll be all right. You'll not only be all right, ultimately somewhere down the road, you'll be better. Because God never puts his children through suffering like that, but what some good doesn't come from it. Trust Him. Trust Him. Would you do that this morning? Please do. While we stand and as we prepare for the invitation, as we sing this, this invitation hymn encouraging you to come if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, would you do so just now? If you're here today and you're going through great trials, and finally, finally, this morning, you've been able to get some perspective on what you're going through. And hopefully, as a result of God's Word this morning, 
you, you can see that there is power available to help you through whatever you're going through. Just come before the Lord this morning saying, Dear God, I'm so sorry that I've had a horrible attitude about my life and about my trials. And this morning, Lord, I'm coming before you as helpless as a little child. And I'm going to trust you to use this bad thing for something good. And I'm going to trust your grace to get me through it. While we sing, you come. <laughs>